Hey guys, welcome to Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. I'm Dr. John Berardi, co-founder of Precision Nutrition, and if you're not familiar with us, over the last 15 years, we've become the world's largest online nutrition, fitness, and health coaching company. Most interesting for health and fitness pros, we've turned the lessons learned coaching over 200,000 clients into a complete nutrition and health coaching system called the Precision Nutrition Certification. It's the industry's most recognized career-changing coaching system anywhere. In this podcast, which is a mix of recorded articles, interviews, and roundtable discussions, myself and my Precision Nutrition colleagues will coach you on growing your business, helping more people, and becoming a better coach. We'll help you become more than a personal trainer, strength coach, or nutritionist. We'll help you become the complete fitness professional. So let's get started. like it. It's similar to the slide that Ryan showed with the yes and the no. There are forces that are pushing us and pulling us in all directions, okay? Think of something right now that you want to change in your life. All of us who said yes or no to Martin's questions, are you making enough money? Do you have good relationships? Are you eating your vegetables? Are you flossing? Are you calling your mom often enough? There's something in your life probably right now that you want to change. Why haven't you changed it? You might have information. You might know you should do it. Why haven't you changed? Why haven't you changed? Because there are these forces that are pushing and pulling us and moving and dragging us all in these different directions. That's the nature of humanity. And this is what we have to work with. The other piece that we have to work with, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in depth, but this is our response to change. 
The deepest, most primal part of our brain generally perceives change as a threat. We are attuned to threat and fear before almost anything else. Okay? So if I'm walking down the street and you jump out from behind a tree, I'm going to feel like, ah, fear. That part of my brain fires before my visual cortex fires, before I see you. I feel fear. Finally, my thinky brain is like, oh, that's just Bob. You know, that, but that's way to, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's you, right? But first I was like, oh, or like, Al, you know, if I'm like Alan, I'm like, I'm going to the punch, right? I feel fear first. So this is people's response to change. It's a threat. We're going to get fight, we're going to get flight, or something that people know less about, the PNS response, the, the go limp response. The blah, the checking out response. So when you're talking to clients about something and you see them kind of glazing over and going limp, that's the PNS dominant freeze response. Okay? And, and this is an immobilization response. It's what happens when you know that you cannot fight or run away. If you hold, if you're in the habit of doing such things, if you have like a hamster or a gerbil or something like that and you immobilize it and don't let it get away, it will squirm, it will fight, it might bite you or you know, it might try to escape. But if it knows eventually that it cannot leave your hand, it will just go thunk. And it's automatic, okay? We all have this response built into us instinctively. So fight, flight, freeze, these are the responses you're going to get in your clients. So between these mixed motivations and these kinds of responses, we're saying to our clients, like, what is your problem, dude? Why don't you want to change? I'm here to change you. Let's talk about reasons. Who here has read the book Switch? Okay, a few people. If you are in the business of change, you should read this book. They use the metaphor of a person riding an elephant to describe what happens in the process of change or how we think as humans. So the rider is what I call our thinky brain. This is our logic, our reason, our late evolving human prefrontal cortex. Okay? Thinky brain. This responds to logic and reason like research and evidence and numbers and this sort of thing. Then they talk about the elephant. The elephant is our deeper primal lizard brain, our passions, our emotions, our deeper felt sense, those kind of intangible things that drive us. The elephant is generally who's in control. Okay? The rider can kind of hang on for a little while, can like muscle the elephant, but eventually the elephant is going to win. It's a big, powerful beast. Okay? Eventually the emotions and the primal needs are going to win out. But there's a third factor too, which is the path. It's the environment. Look at this room. You can see how we're shaped into a particular mode of behavior. Nobody told you to sit in a certain place. Nobody told you that I was the speaker. No one told you to use these aisles, but you know because this is how the environment is arranged. So you've already constrained your behavior because of this environment. So the path is very powerful. So just kind of keep this trifecta in mind as we go forward. There's the rider, there's the elephant, and there's the path. We've been doing a lot of talking to the rider in the fitness industry. It's not getting us very far. And this is why. So behavior has three components. First of all, it's a way to solve a problem. It's like movement dysfunction. It's a way to solve a problem. 
If I step on a tack and I get a tack stuck in my foot, now my foot hurts. Well, I'm going to compensate for that. Maybe I'm going to do a little weird walk. And now my hip hurts, right? Now my shoulder's out of alignment. Now weird stuff is happening. But originally, it was a way to solve a problem, to not walk in a way that caused me pain. Oops. Behavior is also a way to express our priorities and values. What is important to me? What are your goals in your pocket? What's important to me at a deep level? What do I stand for? Who am I? Finally, behavior is a coping mechanism. Often behavior helps me deal with pain or things that are distressing to me. Now we talked about getting comfortable with things that are uncomfortable. My elephant doesn't want to be uncomfortable. I'm going to come up with ways to not be uncomfortable. You better believe it. Behavior is also largely instinctive. It's largely automatic. You could never go through your life if you thought about everything you did. And people are always surprised when I say this, but actually brains are very bad at thinking. Brains are really good pattern finders. They make templates and patterns and shortcuts. So as you go forward, right now in your career, if you're early in your career, it's going to seem like you're getting a lot of information. And it's hard to assimilate. And there's so much to know. But as you go forward, you will begin to build these templates, these habits, these automatic sequences that enable you to leapfrog. You don't have to go A, B, C, D. You can go right to D. Okay, so when Andy was talking about his first client, the yoga instructor, 35 years old, 1,800 calories a day, my cognitive template as someone who's seen thousands of female clients was, she's premenopausal and she's lying about her intake. Guaranteed. She has an eating disorder and she's binging. I bet you 20 bucks. And I have that wisdom because I've seen thousands of clients. I have the patterns and the templates. Okay? That's what wisdom is. It's quite fantastic. As we get older, our brains prune back connections and we get smarter and wiser. So that's a bit of a digression, but the point is that most of our behavior flies beneath our radar. It's pattern-based. It's habit-based. Okay? Again, you can't think about everything you do. If you imagine step-by-step step driving a car, it's like, okay, take the key, put the key in the thing, you know, uh, okay, uh, put my foot on the skinny pedal. You can't do that. You must function with patterns and habits. And our behavior is also shaped by structures, systems, environment, time, space, routines, people around us, ambient lighting, anything, our environment. So, strategically, we talk to the rider. We use logic and reason. We guide the elephant. We don't push the elephant or tug the elephant or shove the elephant. We guide the elephant. We guide the emotions. We guide the primal needs. And we shape the path. We joke at PN that Berardi's first law is, if something is in your house, you're going to eat it. It's only a matter of time. I got those cookies and chocolate they gave out to speakers. Did you know that? They gave us like cookies and chocolate. Um, it's only a matter of time before I eat it. It's in my hotel room, you know? I don't eat sugar, but I will. It's two feet away from me. The other piece of this that we don't talk about as much is give social support. Now here's another nugget I'm going to give you. One of the few things that you can take away from this presentation if you take nothing else. Here is the piece that will make or break your practice if you are in a helping profession. 
The prime determinant of the outcome of any therapy, of any practice, is the quality of the helping relationship. So don't worry about your exams. Don't worry about your thesis. Get better at connecting with people. Not thinky brain to thinky brain. Gut to gut, okay? Person to person. This is what determines the outcome of your successful coaching. So here are some steps. Step one, shut up and listen. Pay attention. Be a good observer. Okay, we talked about functional movement screening. When someone walks in, you should, if you're in, this, if you're in the field of assessing movement, you should be able to assess them immediately. You look, you listen, you pay attention. There's a reason why Dr. House and Sherlock Holmes are the best in the business. They're fictional, but bear with me. They're skilled observers. Okay, Dr. House walks in, he knows what's wrong with you because he, obsess he assesses you. He's a very good observer. So that's step number one, be a good observer. Step number two, clarify your client's priorities. One of the things about our clients is that we assume that they have the same priorities that we do. Mm-hmm, big mistake, okay? We assume that they want to set goals. We assume they're goal-setting people. Mm-mm. We assume that they want to eat healthy. We assume they like the taste of vegetables. Mm-mm. Okay? What are their priorities? So someone might come in to you and say, uh, I want to eat healthy, but I'm real stressed out. So like, maybe I'll have broccoli for lunch, but by eight o'clock, I'm in the chocolate. So I have these competing priorities. Another very common competing priority you'll hear is, especially for women, um, I want to take time for myself, but my family comes first. So where do I find that time? We'll come back to priorities in a second. But it's really, really important that you set aside your priorities and find out what the client's priorities are. Step three, reflect back and affirm. Make sure you got it right. Test your resonance. Okay, Bob, so I'm hearing you say X, Y, and Z. Affirm them. Doesn't mean you have to like them. You don't have to love what they're giving you. You have to make it okay, though. In psychotherapy, it's called unconditional positive regard. The paradox of change is people are only motivated to change when you treat them with acceptance and compassion. When you bring your busted wagon into me and I'm like, yep, that's busted, but you know what, I'm cool with it. Then they're like, well, you know, maybe we could fix it a little bit. I can't say, oh, look, oh, God, that's so wrong and bad. We can't work with this. Look at all your flaws. You don't want to change when you get that. Think of the last time someone criticized you. Were you like, oh, thank you very much for pointing that out. I shall surely correct this now. No, you were like, mm, screw you. Okay? So unconditional positive regard, affirm, warts and all, baby. Uh, here, just here's an example from uh, the, the back pain field. Someone's got back pain. One of the uh, factors that determines the therapeutic outcome is not the success of the treatment itself, you know, whether you gave them the right exercise or not. It's that people say to the client, you know what, back pain is pretty normal, actually. And just because it hurts doesn't mean that your back is going to fall off. So, you know what, you're actually okay. I know it hurts right now, but that's normal, and you're going to be okay. Wow, back pain resolves. 
Okay, so normalize what the client is experiencing. Here's a little trick you can use. Using and instead of but. You know, I understand you want to eat healthy and you're struggling with managing stress. Now you're able to hold that contradictory reality for people. Okay, it's not like you either eat healthy or you manage stress. It's like you eat healthy or you want to eat healthy and you want to manage stress. Now you can work with this. Here's another little piece. Every change involves loss. Every change involves grief. Our clients mourn the loss of bread like it is a treasured child. You're telling me I have to give up potatoes? Ah, oh, a little piece of me just died. Okay, the loss is real. They will feel it. If you're working with injured athletes, I mean, who here has ever had like a long-term chronic illness or injury? <laughs> you're just not old enough, many of you, I think. <laughs> but what you will find is that with a chronic illness or a chronic injury, the biggest damage to you is not the pain. Like once you get over the immediate shock and pain of breaking your leg or snapping your ankle or whatever, um, the biggest threat is to your sense of self. Because then you're like, if I'm not an athlete with this busted up thing, who am I? If I'm not functional, if I'm not a healthy person, who am I? You've lost your identity. So just let that factor be, a, uh, just notice that factor. Notice and name that factor when you have clients who are changing. So once you have listened and observed, once you have clarified the client's priorities, what they want, not what you want, once you have reflected back and affirmed that they're normal and not crazy, affirmed that grief and loss are present, then you wait. You wait. You wait and you listen for what is called change talk. And change talk sounds kind of like this. The client's like, well, you know, I guess I, I, guess I could get up, go for a little walk maybe at lunchtime. Well, you know, may, maybe I could, uh, cut down my soda drinking. Uh, I, you know, I wonder if I could call Barb and maybe she'd like to walk in the evenings with me. Well, now that you mention it, I do feel kind of badly about drinking a bottle of wine every night. Okay? That's change talk. And that is the thin edge of the wedge, my friends. As soon as you've got change talk, you are in business. Okay? You can drive that wedge in, but it has to come from them first. So listen for it. Next step, in the context of their priorities and the change talk, again, not your priorities, their priorities, start to listen for habits. Someone else asked a question of Ryan about, you know, how do you advise people with your expertise? And I thought that was a really good question because when we talk about client-centered coaching, it can kind of sound like, oh, it's really laissez-faire and we let the client do whatever and it's all like bongo drums and stuff. No, it's not like that, okay? It's more like this. Okay, Susie, you've talked about uh, wanting to eat better. Now, as the expert practitioner, as your coach, I have some ideas. Um, I'm thinking, you know, you might like to hear some of my ideas, but I want to hear your ideas first, and we'll just kind of roll those around and see what we come up with. So you're still giving them ideas, you're still sharing your expertise, but it's a collaboration. It is not an opposition. It's a collaboration. So the client might say to you, actually, you know what? I'm thinking I'm going to eat more vegetables. All right, cool. I like that idea. Now, uh, Susan, in, on a scale of 1 to 10, 
with one being not at all confident and 10 being like an awesome ninja, how confident are you that you can eat these five servings of vegetables every day? If you get anything less than a nine out of 10, you gotta shrink that habit, okay? So let's, um, let's maybe not go with five servings of vegetables. How about just one? Or was it Ryan said a, a V8 once a week, right? Let's try just one. How confident are you about that? You keep shrinking that change until the client gives you a nine out of 10. You have no dignity when it comes to shrinking change, okay? You shrink it and you shrink it and you shrink it and you shrink it and it might feel ridiculously small, but you keep on shrinking it. Here's another example. So the client might say to you, oh yeah, well, you know, I'd really like to exercise for 45 minutes a day. How confident are you about that? Because I'm kind of thinking maybe 20 minutes might be more how you want to roll on this one. Or maybe 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And the client's like, I can do that. Here's the sound you want to listen for from a client. I can do that. That's what you want to hear. And you're like, great, do it. So here's the method we use at Precision Nutrition. It's not a secret, anyone can get it. There's a great book out there called The Power of Less. Strongly recommend you read it. He talks about, so the author, Leah Babauta, talks about embarking on all these experiments to change his life. And what he found was that when he tried to change one thing at a time in his habits, he was successful 85% of the time. Pretty good. When he tried to change two things in his life simultaneously, he was successful about a third of the time. When you try to change three things at a time, you just might as well not even bother. So this goes back to that, you know, that concept of focus that's been a very pre uh, prevalent theme in these presentations. Change one thing at a time, make it small, make it manageable, get good confidence on this. Because you want your clients to walk out of your office or your gym or wherever you practice feeling like a freaking superstar. Success builds on success. Do not confront clients with their failures. They know they're fat. They know they eat junk food. They know they have a sore ankle or a sore back or shoulder. They know this. You don't have to tell them. So let's point out their successes. And this is a method that we jokingly call awesomeness-based coaching. But it really has very good roots in things like solution-focused therapy. There's a great book out there called What's Right With You? We tend to get so focused on flaws and critiques and movement screens and here's how all the ways in which you're dysfunctional. What about all the ways in which we're awesome and holding it together and coping despite all kinds of problems? So here's an example. Client comes to you and says, I have no time to exercise. Really? Because you're quite a successful professional person. In fact, you're a lawyer who handles multiple cases every day. That seems quite demanding in terms of organization. In fact, I would suspect that if we applied the same organizational power that you apply at work, to planning your fitness, we would get her done. So that's one example. Another example would be something like someone says, you know, my family is very important to me. Awesome. Take them along to the grocery store. Have your kids pick out their favorite vegetables. Cook together as a family. Hike together as a family on the weekends. Okay? Make the strength work for you. So here are the steps again. And again, you get this in the video. You can write them down if you like. You can start using these right away. That's the cool thing about them. 
So your attitude is what we call empathic attunement. That's a really fancy way of trying to connect with people. Okay? Empathic attunement. I feel what you feel. Okay? I am here with you. It doesn't matter if we don't know what the answer is. We're together. The power of togetherness and changing human behavior is profound. There's a reason that you came here in person to be here. You could have read about this online. No, you are here physically. Okay? There is a power to the physical. There is a power to relationships. Use it. So attitude is empathic attunement and awesomeness-based coaching. Find their strengths. Find the ways in which they're already moving well. Don't try to turn a marathoner into a sprinter. Make them the best marathoner you've ever seen. So step one, observe carefully, listen. Don't try to be right, try to be effective. Shut your mouth, listen. Step two, clarify the client's priorities. This is where you can ask some really good questions. Okay, so I'm, I just wanna be clear on this. It sounds like this is going on for you and also this is going on for you. Is that, is that correct? Am I getting this? Reflect back and affirm them. You know what, what you're going through is normal. A lot of people find that they can't find time for exercise. It's totally normal. Highlight and normalize ambivalence. What that means is tell people it's okay to feel conflicted. It's okay to feel conflicted. Because I think we have this mentality in the fitness industry that you have to feel like a superstar all the time. People are always asking uh, us at PM, like, how do you guys get motivated to exercise? I'm not friggin' motivated to exercise. There are some days I would rather not exercise. So we tell people that. It's normal to feel conflicted. It's normal to feel like, you know what? I would rather just sit here and watch Oprah than go work out some days. Wow, really? That's normal? Okay. Geez, I, I feel like now I can work with that. Also, you're going to allow and recognize loss and grief. You know what? I, under, you know, I, I felt sad when I gave up red wine. I get it. The client's like, oh, really? You didn't just like throw it away in a fit of euphoria? No. I was sad, okay, my body rejected it, I was sad. So loss and grief is part of change, let it be there. Um, let me just add a little piece to this. We often rush to make our clients feel better because our clients come to us feeling bad, right? Feeling bad, it's sort of non-specific. I feel bad or I kind of hurt, I don't feel good. Well, let that be there for a little bit. Don't rush to change it. Just let it, let it kind of percolate. Wait and listen. Once you've highlighted their priorities and kind of held them in that contradictory space, wait and listen. Listen for change talk, okay? Develop your strategies collaboratively. You're a team. One of the pieces about not being right and being effective, the attitude you want to give your client is not, it's like, it's not me against you. We're a team, I'm on your team. As your coach, as your trainer, I am on your team. So we are together in this, and we're gonna develop strategies together. Step six, check confidence. If you get anything less than nine out of 10, shrink it, okay? Shrink the change. And finally, choose one task or habit. God, I know it's so tempting to change a bunch of things. When I started out in, uh, when I quit my job in academia and I started out uh, in nutrition coaching, I literally gave people pages of stuff, okay? Because I, I, I'm a researcher, I made documentation. I'm the documentation specialist, it's what I did. So I'd be like, here's your prospectus for how to change your life. And they'd be like, I, you know, freeze response, thunk, right? So 
Exercise superhuman self-discipline. Choose one task or habit at a time. Trust me, learn from our mistakes on this one. This is the only way that works. Here are a few books we recommend. There's a bazillion more. The one that I recommend above all others is Motivational Interviewing. It's a bit of a textbook. It's a bit dry. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you it's an exciting read, but it will change your practice. I promise you it will change your practice. And when I first read Motivational Interviewing, I was busting it out on people like all over the place. Like my coffee shop, I'd go in and my barista would be like, well, I've been thinking of quitting smoking, and I'm like, really, that's interesting, motivational interviewing. And by the end of it, by the time, you know, between my ordering and her finishing my Americano, she was like, change talking. Well, yes, you know, I guess I could cut down. I was like, yep, my job's done here, okay? Motivational interviewing, it's awesome, makes you fun at parties. So there are lots of other books you can read. The point is that you are change makers. You are change agents. Whether that's for yourself, in your own life, in your immediate circles, in your community, in your practice, you are and will be change makers. Start thinking like it. Okay? Thank you. Okay, everyone, that's it for this week's edition of Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. For more information about how to become the complete fitness professional yourself, and for some awesome free nutrition and coaching resources, come visit us on the web at www.precisionnutrition.com. You could also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at InsidePN. Talk to you next time.